And welcome to another edition of the From the Booth podcast. It's a special week here on the pod because it is our second episode of the week. Earlier this week, uh, a.k.a. yesterday, uh, (laughs) we had our NBA preview drop as Evan and I gave you a look uh, around the NBA and and how we think it will shake out from uh, 1 through 8 in the Eastern Conference, 1 through 8 in the Western Conference, some of the postseason awards, so uh, did that yesterday, took care of that as the NBA kicked off in earnest last night, and those games will continue as they are off and running for 82 and the playoffs in the National Basketball Association. But Evan, let's start today with kind of the rest of the sports world and things going on. Major League Baseball last night, the Washington Nationals drubbed Houston 12-3 to and they go up two games to nothing. Evan, I don't think this is something that very many people saw coming, the Nationals taking both games in Houston. When the Vegas line came out, Washington was the biggest underdog in World Series history since 2007. Just think about that for a second. Wow. The Yeah, they, had, they were the biggest underdog in the World Series in 12 years, and they won both games in Houston. Garrett Cole had been untouchable for months. Those five Yeah, he hadn't lost since late May. Those five earned runs he gave up matched the amount of earned runs he gave up the entire month of September. And now they go back to Washington DC with a 2-0 lead. I don't think the series is over. We'll probably get 5 or 6. I I still think a sweep is highly unlikely. Houston's bats are going to wake up at some point, and this is going to be interesting uh, for games three and four in D.C. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Houston just has not been able to convert with runners in scoring position. I think that's a trend that's going to turn around. But, yeah, you mentioned it. Houston got to Garrett Cole for five earned runs in seven innings in game one. Uh, Juan Soto drove in three in that one for the Nationals, who won five to four. Then they're able to touch up Justin Verlander for four runs in six innings. Then they kind of blew it open against the bullpen. They got another eight against the Houston Astros bullpen, which coming into the series, you would say much, much stronger and bigger advantage to Houston when it comes to the bullpen. So the Nationals able to shake that just a bit. Uh, Strasburg was great yesterday. Six innings, gave up a couple of runs, struck out seven. Uh, Nice story, Kurt Suzuki, the Nationals catcher, hit his first career postseason home run yesterday. He was 2-for-25 coming in, so nice story for Kurt Suzuki. And Evan, the the moment hasn't really been too big for the Nationals. It is something that I've been kind of surprised about. Not that I thought it was going to be too big, but they've really really handled it well. They appear to be doing exactly what it is that they're supposed to do. Uh, The Houston Astros have left 17 runners on base over the first two games, 17 runners on base. You can't, you can't leave that many and expect to win, but Washington people forget that. uh, Okay. Patrick Corbin is their third starter on that team. He's a two time (laughs) all-star. So Washington, he's been coming out of the bullpen at times. So Washington, I think the perception of the nationals was it was just Bryce Harper and a bunch of guys. This is a really talented squad that just couldn't figure it out when they had Harper for some reason. And now they have a 2-0 lead in the World Series, and they're doing it not with just younger guys like Juan Soto, who's turning 21, I believe, 
either today or tomorrow. He's about to turn 21 years old. I think it's tomorrow, yeah. But they have older they have older veteran guys. Kurt Suzuki's 36 years old. Howie Kendrick is in his 30s. They're doing it with a mix of young guys and veteran guys. They they got to Verlander, they got to Cole. Game three in Washington, D.C., if the Nationals win that, then I think the talk of a sweep is going to be a lot more likely. Oh, absolutely. You'll have Anibal Sanchez going for the Nationals. Uh, a little bit of a resurgence for him. He's had a nice postseason, uh, flirted with a no-hitter earlier in the postseason. I think that was game three in the NLDS. Uh, and then it's going to be Zach Greinke for the Houston Astros. And so a big-time matchup on board between Sanchez and Granke. Game three of the World Series. That uh, is tomorrow night uh, for the Nationals and the Astros. So that will be fun to watch. Washington up two games to none in the World Series. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. Evan, something else to touch on. Michigan State ranked number one. Uh, in the preseason college basketball poll, they are led by point guard Cassius Winston, uh, preseason national player of the year watch list. Kentucky's ranked number two, Kansas number three, Duke number four, Louisville your top five rounding out in the college basketball poll. Are you surprised that Michigan State was uh, was ranked number one? I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to tell everybody else the same thing I said off air. I don't really follow college basketball that much, so I don't really know how surprising this is or isn't. I was more surprised of the success that Tom Izzo's had at Michigan State that they weren't ranked number one before all of this. Uh, They do have one of the best names in college basketball. They have a guy in their team named Rocket Watts. (laughs) He's uh, he's definitely making my all-name team. But Michigan State has always been a consistent program under Tom Izzo's watch and congratulations to them for being ranked number one. Uh, I'm a little surprised that Duke slid all the way to four considering the recruiting class that they just brought in. They just brought in uh Kasha Stanley and uh, there's a point guard. I can't, his name escapes me right now, but they've brought in, they brought in some high value recruits. So I'm surprised they slid all the way to four. I think a couple of teams to watch, and I do agree, surprising there. Michigan State will open the season on November 5th. That is versus number two, Kentucky. So really, really big matchup to open the year. That'll be fun to watch. A couple of teams to watch out for. I think at number nine with North Carolina, Cole Anthony, uh, the son of former uh, NBA player, former college basketball player Greg Anthony, who is now an analyst on TV. Uh, So watch out for UNC, Cole Anthony, big-time recruit that they were able to land. I think the Florida Gators is an interesting team to watch because they bring in Kerry Blackshear from uh, Virginia Tech as a graduate transfer. He was uh, an absolute animal on the uh, low block for the Hokies. He shot over 52% from that area uh, down low for Virginia Tech, and that's in the ACC. It's a pretty good league, Blackshear. Six foot ten, two hundred and fifty pound, really athletic guy in on the interior that's gonna help Florida out a ton. And then I think Memphis is a team that everyone's curious to see how Penny Hardaway handles this uh, Memphis Tigers squad, especially because they had the number one recruiting class. I mean, you had James Wiseman, a big time recruit that they landed out of East High School in Memphis. Uh, so he stays home and decides to play for Penny Hardaway and the Memphis Tigers. 
a seven foot, two hundred and ten pound guy that many project will be a a very high lottery pick. And then they bring in a couple of other guys, Precious Achua. Uh, so hopefully I didn't butcher that one too bad. A six nine forward. He's from Montverde here in Florida. And then Boogie Ellis, who's a combo guard from California. So a couple of big-time recruits and a number one class for uh, Penny Hardaway and the number 14, pre- the preseason number 14 anyway, Memphis Tigers. So going to be an interesting college basketball season to watch. I think you've got a lot of those types of guys that you that, that we just touched on kind of in the middle of that poll you know, towards the top, top 10, top 12, top 15 teams, Florida, UNC, Memphis. I'm curious to see how they're able to crack with the Blue Bloods, Michigan State, Kentucky, uh, Kansas, Duke, Louisville, those guys in the top five. I think you're going to see some interesting movement from some of those teams in the middle of that poll. And some of the, the some of the guys that I just mentioned, I think will be very intriguing. No love for Virginia. Outside of the top 10. Yeah, no love for Virginia. Virginia at 11, excuse me. So going to be uh, gonna be fun to watch. I think you got Texas Tech, who we saw uh, have a really nice run under Chris Beard. He is number 13. He's got his Texas Tech Red Raiders 13 just ahead of Memphis. Villanova at 10 and what Jay Wright can do. Maryland at seven, I think, is one that is uh, is going to be fun to follow. And Gonzaga at eight with Mark Few, always uh, always good there. Evan, we're going to slide to college football and a team that you and I have been talking about uh, at length this season. The Clemson Tigers drop in the polls once again by one spot. Uh, they dropped to number four. They were not. They were jumped by Ohio State, who moves up to number three. And I'll pose this question to you. Are the playoff hopes for the Clemson Tigers in danger? Do you think that they are legitimately uh, against the wall in terms of they could miss the college football playoff? That would depend on a lot of external factors. Can Oklahoma State stay undefeated? Can Penn State stay undefeated? Clemson is running through what most people consider, and I feel it to be mostly true, a watered-down ACC uh Oklahoma got through Texas and if Oklahoma can get through the Big 12 like there's a chance that maybe Clemson could be left empty-handed of they don't get to defend their championship because they feel that well their schedule was wasn't up to snuff to teams like Oklahoma, Penn State, maybe Notre Dame with one loss if they have a great end to their season. It seems a bit strange to think that Clemson has slid all the way down to four. Like if the the idea of them being outside of the college football playoff picture was unreasonable just a few weeks ago, but now that they've slid from one to two to three and now down to four, if Oklahoma can stay undefeated, those chances are a lot more realistic than people think. Yeah, I mean, I I understand and and I agree those chances are very realistic. I, I I still think Clemson is one of the top one or two teams in the country in terms of talent. They have an NFL quarterback, an NFL running back, uh, at least one NFL wide receiver. They're good defensively. I think we've seen this from Urban Meyer, Florida team in the past. We've seen this from some of these teams in college football. 
Clemson, there's a little bit of a, it seems like there's a little bit of a, a struggle to get motivated, a little bit of a disinterest. They know they're better than everyone on their schedule. They know they're probably going to beat everyone on their schedule. And as you point out, the schedule is not strong. Maybe when they play Wake Forest, Wake Forest will still be in the top 25, but they are at number 25, and that is the that would be the only ranked team on Clemson's schedule. That is definitely going to hurt them. The strength of schedule is something that will hurt Clemson. I'm just so fascinated to see, Evan, how the the voters and the people and how everyone wants to weigh it because on the football field, while they haven't, you know, I don't think they've put it all together and they obviously haven't looked their best this year, but on the field, talent-wise, when you line up, this Clemson team is one of the tops in the country, but they have not looked impressive and they have struggled uh, in games they probably shouldn't have playing their weaker schedule in what you said, watered-down ACC. I don't think anyone would argue that. So I'm just I'm just fascinated to see where people have them because from a talent perspective, they're absolutely there, but they just haven't been impressive. And unless they, they turn it on here late and start just absolutely obliterating people like we know and have been accustomed to seeing them do, a lot has to shake out, obviously, but they could be in a little bit of a, tr- a, a little bit of trouble here late in the season. Alabama and LSU are going to play each other in a few weeks. Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they'll both get in because let's play this out and say Alabama loses, but then the, but then the voters have an excuse of, well, you know, they didn't have Tua. Right. Tua had the ankle injury. He didn't play. It was a backup. And, you know, Oklahoma's got – a tough the Big 12 is surprisingly deep. Baylor is 7 and 0 along with them. Iowa State is also ranked at 5 and 2. Here's Oklahoma's next 3 games. On Saturday they're at Kansas State. They have a bye week November 9th. They they're home against Iowa State and then November 16th at number 14 Baylor and they're both 7 and 0. That could be well they actually have a Big 12 championship game now. But that could be a Big 12 championship game preview considering that Oklahoma and Baylor each have a two-game lead over everybody else in the Big 12. You know, Penn State is 7-0 right behind them at 6. Their next few games are at Michigan State, a bye week. Then the 9th, November 9th, they're at Minnesota. And then they're home against Indiana. And then November 23rd, they're in Columbus at Ohio State. So Penn State and Ohio State are going to play each other. Alabama and LSU are going to play each other. You know, there's still a chance that Clemson could stay at number four while four of the top six teams are going to play each other within the next month. So if they can just hold the fort and do what they're doing, one of those teams is going to slip because they play each other. If they can just stay where they are, I think Clemson can get in. But, ooh, this this college football season is a lot deeper and more interesting than we thought it was going to be when the season started in late August. No, absolutely. And uh, to your Oklahoma point, how many times have we sat here and said that, you know, maybe the Big 12 was down, that Oklahoma's schedule was weak? You you pointed out a couple of games, Iowa, excuse me, Iowa State and Baylor, that are really going to help Oklahoma. And the fact that they're number five sitting right there, if you string together some impressive wins, you have a Bama and an LSU take a loss, maybe Ohio State takes a loss. They still have a couple of tough games on their schedule. 
it it's going to be very fascinating to see what happens. Clemson, I think, definitely needs to pick it up in terms of they've got to win these games in a more impressive fashion to be able to stay right there at number four because they'll they'll get in at number four. You know, you don't have to be number one. You got to be in that top four. Clemson's in right now. Still a long way to go, obviously. Bama number one, LSU number two, Ohio State three, Clemson four. But you've got uh, Oklahoma at five, Penn State at six, Florida at seven. The Gators aren't out of it yet either with one loss. There's a lot of teams knocking on the door waiting for somebody to slip up so they can jump up in there. Uh, Speaking of Ohio State moving up, they are number three. And, Evan, the game that we thought was going to be a matchup of the undefeateds before number 13 Wisconsin suffered that look-ahead loss last week. Do they stand a chance in Columbus? What say you? I say that I'm cursed, uh, first of all, (laughs) because – uh, a few weeks ago, I made a glowing defense of Auburn being in the top five, and then they lost to Florida. And then after I sung the praises of Wisconsin, they lost to Illinois. So I think I'm just going to stop defending teams because as soon as I do, it just ends badly for everybody involved and it makes me look stupid. Uh, I still think Wisconsin has a chance because that was clearly a look-ahead trap game where they just didn't take Illinois overly seriously. They were clearly looking ahead to Ohio state and Wisconsin knows that. And I feel like they might come in with a little bit of edge because of it, of we didn't pay as much attention as we should have in the, in the Illinois game. We're going to pay even more attention to Ohio state. So come noon on Saturday, watch out because this could be, this could be one of those like 16 to 10 defensive slugfests where whoever gets the ball last winds up winning. Yeah, it might be one of those. I see Ohio State scoring more points. I just don't – I really like the Wisconsin defense, but with Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, I just think Ohio State, that offense is going to be too much. I do see it being a close game for quite a while, but I can see Ohio State pulling away, maybe winning by 10, 13 Uh, as their offense is just too much for Wisconsin. That's going to be a great game to watch at noon. Evan, another very interesting game, I think, is that number 9 Auburn at LSU game. Uh, Bo Nix, Joe Burrow squaring off. That's a big game for LSU because, as you mentioned, Alabama and LSU are on a crash course for a little bit later in the season. They've got to take care of business, and it's against a very tough Auburn team. If you were betting... Joe Burrow for the Heisman at the beginning of the season, you are going to be a pretty wealthy person. Yeah, you the could have gotten good odds, odds there. Going, the opening odds were 200 to 1. Wow. Now he's the betting favorite. He's already – he's either close to or has already broken the single-season touchdown record. LSU and Auburn. Uh, if there is a chance for Auburn to play spoiler and – screw with the LSU's plan with LSU's plans of getting in the playoffs. This would be the week to do it. Bo Nix at times has definitely looked like an 18 year old freshman, but at other times he's looked at, he's looked at times like, okay, I understand why Auburn made this guy, the starting quarterback. Uh, The something that we didn't think we'd ever say out loud, but the LSU defense needs to keep up with the offense, Cody. And that's something I never thought I'd say out loud. No, absolutely. It's, it's been, you know, what has LSU been predicated on? It's, it's a run game and it's the defense. And all of a sudden LSU's 
putting up more than 40 a night. <laughs> Has there been a more dramatic transformation from an offensive standpoint than LSU? Because under Les Miles, it was kind of predictable, and the quarterbacks were kind of meh. Now, Joe Burrow, he has 29 touchdowns, so he's already broken the school record. He's he's got he's got good wide receivers. He's got a good running game, like they always do. But I I can't think of a more dramatic turnaround than what LSU's been able to do on offense from where they were just a few years ago with Les Miles to where they are right now with Ogeron. Yeah, bringing in Joe Brady the as the passing game coordinator and the wide receivers coach. Uh, I, the story's been told a bunch of times, but he spent uh, a couple of the last couple of seasons uh, with the New Orleans Saints under Sean Payton, who many consider to be one of the best offensive gurus in the NFL. And we're seeing what he's doing with Teddy Bridgewater, his backup quarterback, in uh, undefeated. So. This is a guy that's come in and really revamped what LSU is doing throwing the football. You got to give the coaching staff a lot of credit and you got to give Joe Burrow and the offensive players a lot of credit because they're able to get out there and execute that and really flip the narrative here where we're seeing LSU put up 40 plus on a regular basis. Evan Arkansas at number 1 Alabama. Tua had the ankle surgery. Mac Jones is going to get the start. This Arkansas team has struggled. I don't. I think Alabama's able to eke it out, but uh, does Arkansas stand a chance? They have about as good of a chance as winning as that fake punt they ran last week. <laughs> They've struggled I, I this year. I don't think Alabama's gonna gonna lose because when because Tennessee was in that game and then Mac Jones came in and the Alabama defense was like, "All right, we're shutting we're shutting this down." especially after the 100-yard fumble return against Tennessee and that you just kind of knew it was over. You know, Alabama, they could win this. They don't have to put up 50 points to beat you, but when you're throwing the ball to guys like Ruggs and Judy and you can just hand the ball to Najee Harris, they're not going to need Mac Jones to do a whole lot to win this game. Like, Mac Jones could probably go... 11 of 17 for 145 yards and they'll be just fine because that offense is so loaded that they only need him to do the bare minimum. It's like, just manage the game. Don't turn the ball over and we're going to be fine. Yeah, absolutely. The only, I'd say the only chances that Arkansas would have is if they can get consistent pressure uh, on Mac Jones, because that will, you know, he hasn't had a lot of game reps, uh, obviously. So that would be the only the only way that I think they could get to him, force him into some mistakes, and then you'd have to capitalize on that. But I agree, I see Alabama coming away in that one, although it could be a much more interesting game, uh, obviously with the backup Mac Jones in as Tua uh, Tongavaloa recovers from his ankle surgery. Evan, Notre Dame at number 19, Michigan. Uh, that's potentially the game of the week. Uh, Je- Harbaugh, the letter dismissing a move to the NFL that he sent to parents. The the heat's going to turn up a lot if Notre Dame comes in and beats Michigan. I, I think the seat's pretty warm already. I, I think it is pretty warm already, but Harbaugh had to deny it. What else is he going to say? Hell yeah, get me out of here. Like, <laughs> no, I, I agree. I don't like. What else is he going to say? But I think 
we have way too unrealistic expectations with Harbaugh that the idea that he was going to come in and be like Nick Saban in Alabama. Nobody was ever going to be Nick Saban in Alabama. Like, think of this for perspective, Cody. Uh, Michigan has won 11 or more games in a season five times ever. Ohio State won 11 or more games every year they had Urban Meyer. That's seven. So Ohio State has won 11 or more games in the last eight years than Michigan has won 11 or more games ever. So I I feel like our expectations on Harbaugh were way too high. He, he's not doing a bad job. He's winning nine to ten games a year. I I think we kind of have to calm down a little bit about the Jim Harbaugh hot seat stuff. He's he's do, he's doing he's doing just fine. He's he put Michigan in a better place than they were six or seven years ago when they had the Rich Rodriguez Brady Hoke era. This is kind of just where Michigan's going to be now. Like he can't turn it into Alabama Midwest. Like that's that's just never going to happen. No, that's a great point, and I think for some reason we've. We've just we're holding him to this absurd standard that his performance, you know, may, you know, maybe you'd like another win against Ohio State in the rivalry game. I understand that, but his performance is right in line, if not, you know, maybe a little bit better than what traditionally, as you pointed out, with those win total numbers in in a season. We're just holding him, I think, to such a high standard that it's just it, it's really not fair to him because you know, yes, he's. He's supposed to be uh, the offensive mind. Michigan's offense has struggled uh, at times mightily in his tenure. I understand all of those factors, but again, this is as you mentioned, this is not Ohio State. This is not Alabama. This is not a this is not a team that and a program that, while they should be on the national stage, should be in the national conversation every year. It's not like this Michigan team has you know, Alabama type tradition when it comes to they are, you know, one or two or three in the country every single year. I mean, this is what what Jim Harbaugh's done is not necessarily, you know, such a such a bad thing and such a you know, so far from the Michigan tradition. Yes, like I said, his performance in the rivalry games has suffered and I think that's something that fans have had about enough of. But I I just don't think this guy was going to come in and go 12 and 0 every year to begin with anyway. So I just don't understand why why the heat's turned up so high, I guess is what is what I'm what I'm digging at there. Okay, let's say you are a Michigan fan and you want him out of there. Okay, great. And who are you going to bring in that's just that's comparable or better than Jim Harbaugh? That's a great point. Like that's like the one question nobody asks. Everybody's like, "Oh, get him out of here! Get him out of here!" Okay, and you're gonna bring in, and you're gonna bring in who exactly? Yeah. So who do you want? I mean, you could probably make a call to maybe whoever's the coach of Minnesota right now, or whoever the coach of Memphis is. But Michigan likes to stay within their bubble. The idea of we need a Michigan man to lead this team and. We don't stray outside the Michigan family. Um, you know, USC did that for a long time. Alabama did that for a long time. And the times where they went out of the Alabama and USC bubbles, they had great success. I mean, UCLA, UCLA, USC right now 
is desperate to get back to where they were under Pete Carroll. Alabama, for years after Bear Bryant, I mean, they had guys that were winning SEC titles, but they weren't to the standard that Alabama believes that they belong at the whole time. So if you want to replace Jim Harbaugh, then you better have a guy in line that you're going to replace him with that your fans are going to be happy with. Yeah, and as you mentioned, who is that guy? You know, don't hire somebody. You don't hire somebody that you can't fire. And it's going to just be very interesting to see how this plays out for Michigan. Notre Dame at Michigan, 730, big evening game. Uh, Ian Book and company for Notre Dame coming in. And look, this is a good Notre Dame team with a good defense uh, and just enough offensive weapons to put some pressure on you. So this is, you know, this is a big game, and Notre Dame's still trying to fight in the national conversation. They have the one loss to Georgia and a really impressive game for Notre Dame and the people who watched that game in terms of how they played. So Notre Dame's still fighting to stay alive. So Michigan's not going to get an easy one coming on uh, on Saturday night there. So some of the ranked games to watch, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Auburn, LSU, Notre Dame, Michigan, on the weekend and uh, we're all kind of watching Clemson together and seeing, you know, what happens with this Clemson football team because the talent is there. We know, but a couple of weeks now they've been jumped in the polls. They're at number four. They're trying to hang on a lot of college football left to play and a lot of intriguing storylines in the top five, six, seven uh, teams in the country that we will keep an eye on. All right, Evan, let's slide to the NFL where, we ha- where we've had a trio of trades to talk about. The first one up on my list in my notes that we'll touch on is the Mohamed Sanu from Atlanta to New England for a second-round pick. Uh, circumstances surrounding that with the Patriots, it's been a revolving door at wide receiver all year. Uh, Edelman's been hurt. They have Philip Dorsett. He's been in and out of the lineup. Josh Gordon has been in and out of the lineup. And now Josh Gordon on IR with that knee injury. Evan, how much does this move the needle for New England, adding a guy who's 30 years old but has been a productive NFL wide receiver? I think it moves the needle quite a bit. Uh, According to pro football reference of the New England Patriots, they've had – let me count here. One, two, three, four. 14 different players have caught at least one pass for the New England Patriots this season. 14 guys. Wow. And you could make the argument that their defense is so dominant that they don't really need uh, a great receiver. Okay, so here are some of the guys that have caught at least one pass from Tom Brady this season. Jacob Johnson. Gunnar Olszewski. Matt Lacoste. You're making these guys. Antonio up. Brown. No, no. Like go go to go to pro go to Pro Football Reference. These are guys on the actual roster. Antonio Brown, but he's no longer in the league. Ryan Izzo, son of Larry Izzo. Ben Watson. Like getting a Muhammad Sanu type is going to help a lot. And Bill Belichick joked at the press conference that, you know, of course we've seen him. Like we've got all the Rutgers guys. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh I think this moves the needle a lot from a team's perspective of Tom Brady having that guy he can throw to. And he, he's got a revolving door of guys that that you said that you were convinced that I was just making these guys up. Like there's no way that these are real people. Oh yeah. 
they're real people. And those are the guys that Tom Brady's throwing the ball to. Yeah, he's got to be thrilled that he has uh, somebody out there with a, a little bit more pedigree and experience when it comes to Mohamed Sanu. Uh, 33 catches, 313 yards this year, one touchdown. Uh, that was with the Atlanta Falcons. He started his career with the Cincinnati Bengals. So a nice add for New England. You know, their offense has has struggled at times this year and, and really all year with injuries. Uh, Julian Edelman, who is one of the more reliable guys in the league, he has been injured uh, with a chest injury that has been bothering him for weeks. He's still gone out and played every week, but he struggled as well. James White is uh, a running back that gets a lot of uh, a lot of action in the passing game. So it's just been a piecemeal effort from the New England Patriots at the wide receiver spot, and this definitely does add a guy in Mohamed Sanu. Nice trade for a second round pick, and. I believe a guy that it, that they can get a compensatory draft pick for if he goes in free agency. So you'll turn around and you'd get a third round pick there. So this is another case of New England going out and getting a guy that they think will be productive in their system, getting a guy that is going to help Tom Brady and provide a little bit of relief in that department because they have had a number of different injuries at the wide receiver spot. And that's probably the one area where you'd uh, where you'd say that they need to really, really improve as the season goes on. Obviously, the Patriots still one of the team one of the two teams undefeated in the league, but they've struggled on the offensive line and they've struggled at wide receiver. So adding Sanu is a nice addition for them. Another wide receiver on the move, Emmanuel Sanders. He goes uh, from Denver with a fifth round pick to the 49ers for a third and a fourth round pick. And Evan, I thought this was an, another nice move, another 30-plus-year-old wide receiver, but a guy who's really going to be a nice outlet and valve for Jimmy Garoppolo. And they need it, too. Like, from a, statistic, from a statistical standpoint, the San Francisco 49ers have the weakest wide receiving core in the league. George Kittle, George Kittle has 34 catches this season, the only guy that has at least 15 is Debo Samuel. Marquise Goodwin has 11. The next closest wide receiver is Kendrick Bourne, who has nine catches for 139 yards. So th- this is a, a team that needs somebody like Emmanuel Sanders. And Emmanuel Sanders said it himself. I needed a change. And he went from a Denver team that at least for 2019 is going nowhere to the San Francisco team who's six and zero and has a chance to make a deep playoff run. And Jimmy Garoppolo has somebody that could uh, in theory, take the pressure off of George Kittle. Yeah, absolutely. And George Kittle, as you pointed out with those catches, he's a tight end. The, the, the weapons they have at wide receiver have struggled and so you add a 32-year-old Emmanuel Sanders who has 30 catches for 367 yards and a couple of touchdowns this year. He said it. He needed a change of scenery. He met with John Elway. They both decided that it was probably best that Sanders moves on. So they sought a trade partner for Emmanuel Sanders. They found the 49ers. And you 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 mentioned it. A very nice addition. A guy that's going to be able to work underneath for Jimmy Garoppolo. This is a team kind of like the Buffalo Bills you don't need the ridiculously explosive offense. You need to not turn the ball over, and you need to be able to put up a, a, a few touchdowns and maybe a field goal. 
Emmanuel Sanders is going to help them do that because we've seen with this 49ers defense, one of the best in the NFL so far, really nasty up front with all those first-round draft picks on the defensive line. They're holding teams to, I think it's like 175 yards passing per game, maybe less than that. So this defense is for real. They've just needed a little bit more punch on the offensive side, and Emmanuel Sanders does indeed add that for the 49ers. Evan, a very surprising trade when you read everything that uh, is coming out from both sides. Safety Quandre Diggs and a 2021 seventh rounder goes to the Seattle Seahawks, and Den- and uh, Detroit, excuse me, gets a 2020 fifth rounder. This is an interesting one because Seattle adds a bona fide starting safety. They are uh, a couple of injuries have left them thin in the secondary, and the player comes out and Diggs says he's absolutely blindsided by the trade. I thought that was uh was interesting. He just signed an extension with Detroit last year, so he- this was something he was not expecting. And his teammates went to Twitter. And they were not happy, Cody. Did you see some of those tweets? Yeah, they were, as you mentioned, none too pleased. He was a really popular guy in the locker room, was voted team captain. And if Matt Patricia was hoping he didn't lose the locker room, trading a really popular veteran guy like Quandre Diggs is not going to help his cause. Uh, Here are some of the tweets. Uh, Darius Slay said that the treat was, quote, this is some bullshit. His words, not mine. Uh, Jamal Agnew just posted no with about 14 O's. Carry on Johnson said, this has been a tough day. I'm going to miss you. It's, ooh, boy, that Lions locker room is not happy about this trade. But Seattle gets a guy that can make up for the secondary play that they've had, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those deals that didn't really make a lot of sense as it happened. Like why is Minnesota trading for the Minnesota? Why is Detroit trading for this guy considering that they didn't really get a whole lot back for him. And the reaction of the teammates kind of told me what I need to know. Like, Ooh, yeah, this is not playing well in Detroit. Yeah, did not play well in the locker room, it looks like, in Detroit. But Seattle adds a, a, a big-time talent at the back end of that defense, and we saw them add Jadavian Clowney earlier in the year. Now they add Diggs, who is going to help them on the back end uh, with a couple of injuries there. And Seattle's saying, hey, look, you know, we can credit to them. We're having a, a good season. We see, you know, where we're at right now. We've got to be a little bit better defensively. We've got some injuries, so they go out and plug a hole that they see that they have out there on the field, and this is a team that expects to be competing late into the season and for a playoff spot in the NFC. So they go out and make a nice addition, a nice trade, digs uh, the his departure from Detroit leaves heads spinning with the Lions who are headed in the wrong direction after a couple of consecutive losses. So going to be interesting to see how it plays out for both sides. Sure looks like Seattle's going to be able to keep things rolling. And uh, as you mentioned, this could be a uh, not a good sign for Detroit moving forward. Evan, tonight, the Thursday night game, it's the uh, Redskins against the Vikings. 
what in the world has gotten into Kirk Cousins? He is playing like an MVP candidate the past couple of weeks. So I have no idea, actually. Um, this is a team that, for all intents and purposes, looked like it was going to implode a few weeks ago when Adam Thielen made those comments about Kirk Cousins. And all he's done since then is look like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Like, the transformation of this Vikings team has been pretty jarring. Yeah, the last three games for Kirk Cousins, uh, nearly 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, one interception, and you mentioned it. After a loss to the Bears, Adam Thielen comes out and has some negative comments. Kirk Cousins responds, apologizes for his play, which I thought was interesting, um, which I think is just the kind of guy Kirk Cousins is. He said, hey, look, you know, this is – I I can't be missing Adam Thielen. He's an impeccable wide receiver. I've got to find a way to get him the ball. And since then, the uh, Minnesota Vikings offense has exploded. They have one of the best running backs in the league who can run the football, who can catch the ball out of the backfield in Dalvin Cook. Uh, He's already got eight touchdowns on the year. And then all of a sudden, Stephon Diggs uh, bursts onto the scene. Adam Thielen uh, hurt himself in the last game, but he is recovering, and he is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL when you look at it over the course of his career in the league. So, yeah, Evan Cousins, with him playing at this rate, uh, they could uh, the, the Redskins could be in for a very long night tonight on Thursday Night Football. So here's a tweet from Adam Schefter earlier today. I don't know if you saw this. The last time the Redskins and Vikings played each other was Week 10 of 2017. Kirk Cousins was Washington starter. Case Keenum was Minnesota's starter. The last time the starting quarterbacks faced each other for both teams in the same matchup was Sonny Jerkinson and Norm Sneed for the Eagles and Redskins from 1963 to 1964. So it's been a long time for that. Uh, do you think Washington gets the second win of the year, or do they fall to 1-6? and six? No, they're going to fall to 1-6. and six. Minnesota has too much. Uh, they can just run the football with Dalvin Cook. They've done a, a much better job of getting Kirk Cousins on the move, rolling him out, finding Thielen, finding Diggs. Uh, it, that offense is going to be too much for the Redskins. It's going to be interesting to watch with the Vikings. One of the narratives around Kirk Cousins is his very subpar record against winning teams and his very subpar record in primetime games. So... I think there's still a lot of questions around the Vikings in terms of how will Kirk Cousins play when it comes down to it late in the season against good defenses in primetime matchups that you absolutely need him to show up in. But these past three weeks, while it has been against the Giants, the Philly, uh, the Phillies, the Giants, Philadelphia, the Eagles, and the Detroit uh, Lions secondaries, While it's been against those teams, he has looked unstoppable the last few weeks, and that is a guy that they have to keep going because they can run the football, and when you add in his ability to throw the ball to the weapons that they have out wide, a couple of potentially top 15, top 20 receivers in the NFL in Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, that is a very, very dangerous team. A couple of other games I'm looking at, Evan, 
a little bit disappointing that we don't get Patrick Mahomes because we would have had Aaron Rodgers against Patrick Mahomes, but Green Bay is in Kansas City, and I thought Matt Moore did a nice job coming in for Patrick Mahomes. How do you see this playing out in Kansas City with Moore uh, being able to man the ship until Patrick Mahomes returns? All right, a couple things. A correction on the Redskins record. They're already 1-6, and six, so loss to drop them to 1-7. and seven. And two, Patrick Mahomes practiced Wednesday. They're not ruling him out of this game. Oh, my Lord. I, I Hey, there's still a chance, but it's not looking... It's not looking overly promising. Uh, the one game I'm looking at is San Francisco versus Carolina because it sounds like Carolina is ready to just cut the cord with Cam Newton because Kyle Allen is 4-0 and as a starting quarterback. Uh, I think the, the conversation around Newton is a bit unfair. Uh, you know, the idea is like, well, Kyle Allen's 4-0. You got to stick with him. Yeah, you know who else is a backup quarterback and hasn't lost a game yet, Cody? Who's that? Teddy Bridgewater. Five and oh, Teddy. And you know what? And and you know what? Nobody's saying in New Orleans. You know, I think we should stick with Teddy and tell Drew Brees, sorry, we're, we're going to stick with him. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, nobody's saying that. So I I want to see if Carolina, Carolina, if uh, San Francisco can go seven and zero going into their Thursday night Halloween game against Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. And another game that I'm looking at is. And another game that I'm looking at is uh, Jacoby Brissett and the Indianapolis Colts are four and two first place in the AFC South going against the Denver Broncos. How about the way that he's playing this year? And uh, we called it Co- Frank Reich is going to be coach of the year. And if it keeps up like this, he's going to run away with it. He is. You called it. You are exactly right there. He has played extremely well. Uh, he's one off the touchdowns lead. He has 14 touchdowns on the season. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has 15. There's another couple of guys up there with 15. I can't remember off the top of my head, but Brissett is second in the league in touchdowns, and he's played one last game. So as some of those teams hit the bye week, if Brissett keeps up this pace, he's up near the tops, the leaders in uh, passing touchdowns in the NFL. This Colts team has been a, a really nice story with Brissett manning the offense with the sudden and jarring retirement of Andrew Luck from the NFL. It's a team that can run the football. They have good offensive line play. Jacoby Brissett limits the mistakes that he makes. Uh, They still have T.Y. Hilton. They have a couple of tight ends in Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron. They just beat the Houston Texans. Uh, They they beat the Kansas City Chiefs earlier this year. This is a a real team that can control the clock, that plays pretty good defense, uh, and is able to run the football. So, this Colts team is is somebody to watch in an AFC that we think is pretty wide open outside of the New England Patriots. Uh, this Colts team is going to be one to watch. Evan, real quick back to the Carolina Panthers with the Kyle Allen, Cam Newton. I don't think that you'd argue, and maybe you would, we'll see here, but if you're picking between a healthy Cam Newton and a healthy Kyle Allen, I'm taking Cam Newton 10 times out of 10, correct? Yes, yes, I am too, because the last time we saw him fully healthy, he was an MVP candidate and Carolina was on fire. He hurt the shoulder and then things just kind of cratered. But Carolina doesn't believe that that Kyle Allen is the next guy. 
Because if you, if Carolina as an as an organization really believed that Kyle Allen was the next guy, then Cody, why did they draft Will Greer in the third round? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're hoping Will Greer is going to be one of those guys. If you truly thought Kyle, if you truly thought Kyle Allen was going to be the man behind Cam Newton, then why did you spend a third round pick on Will Greer? Why? With Cam Newton injured right now, Kyle Allen is your is your guy, and he's playing really really well. I don't think anyone would argue that you'd take a healthy Cam Newton over a healthy Kyle Allen. But the problem is Cam Newton has been out injured. He's not healthy. And how long will it take him to get fully healthy when he comes back? Because if Cam Newton is not able to use his legs and run, this is not a guy that's extremely accurate throwing the football. He never has been. He's relied on his athleticism and running the football to make a lot of plays in his time in the NFL. And if he's a guy that can't do that, if he has to be more of a pocket passer, then give me Kyle Allen in that instance because this is a guy who has 900 yards, seven touchdowns filling in for Cam Newton. He's not thrown an interception. He's a 65% completion guy. He just, for the most part, takes care of the football, does what you have to do. They have a, a, a pretty good defense in Carolina, so you're able to lean on those guys you do just enough to get the win, that's who you've got with Kyle Allen. If you get a a Cam Newton all the way healthy, there's no question that he's going to be your starting quarterback. But the question is, how long does it take Cam Newton to get to that spot where he's fully healthy? Because if he's not, I would not take a 60 or 70% Cam versus a fully healthy Kyle Allen because we've seen what Kyle Allen can do leading this football team. And Cam Newton's contract is up at the end of the 2020 season. So you have a year to figure out, okay, is it really time to move on from him? Or are we going to have to think about our future post 2020 going into 2021? You know, you have a, you have a year left on his contract to figure out what you still have in Cam Newton. And if Cam, and if you put him out there and he's not the guy, but okay, fine. We're going to, we're going to look for a new guy in 2021. I think going to Kyle Allen or Will Greer or whoever else they decide to bring in at the end of the year is an ill-advised decision for Carolina and one that they're going to regret if they decide to make it. Carolina at four and two on the season. The Saints are at six and one. Evan, when New Orleans went down, it's the uh, it's the Arizona Cardinals at the New Orleans Saints this week in a in a matchup that I'm interested in. But Evan, when Drew Brees went down, the narrative was all right. Teddy Bridgewater's coming in. You know, the Panthers have a backup quarterback in. The Falcons aren't very good. The Bucks are okay. They'll show up randomly and hang 55 on you. But other than that, they're not much of a threat. The narrative was, all right, Teddy, just, you know, don't throw a lot of picks. Let's go. Let's try and win four out of these next six. Maybe we'll go three and three. Not ideal, but we'll just stick around in the race. Teddy Bridgewater said, screw that. And he's undefeated. The Saints are at six and one and they're going to potentially have Drew Brees back in the lineup. He's aiming for playing at this Arizona game, but I think it would be smart if he just held out an extra week. I, I agree with that you know, totally. Just hold out an extra week. We'll get, you know, heal up for another week, and then we'll get you back. That Chicago game was nowhere near as close as the final score was. Over the first three quarters, Cody, they had, f- they had four first downs. Chicago did. 
They recovered a couple of onside kicks, but those are fluky things where the ball didn't go 10 yards and it just happened to bounce off a Saints guy and then the Bears recovered it. It was 36 to 10 at one point, and it took Mitch Trubisky, I think, 44 passes to get over 200 yards passing, which is, uh, it's, it's not good. It's not, it's not good. If this team goes 6-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater, I know San Francisco is undefeated, but is it wrong to say that New Orleans is the team to beat in the NFC and not San Francisco, even though San Francisco hasn't lost a game yet? No, I would, I would definitely entertain that. I mean, the defense is playing pretty well. You have, I mean... Alvin Kamara has been out injured, but you'll get him back at some point. You have Latavius Murray, a very capable backup. You've got guys uh, along the defensive line like Cam Jordan. You have guys in the defensive secondary like Von Bell. This is a really, really good football team in the New Orleans Saints. And they've showed with Teddy Bridgewater under center that they can just keep the ball rolling and be able to perform well even in the absence of Drew Brees. I don't think you'd be crazy at all to say that the Saints are one of the top couple teams in the NFC when they get a healthy Drew Brees back. Uh, They're playing the Cardinals this weekend. Kyler Murray and company have won three straight. It's Cincinnati, Atlanta, and the Giants, but they've won three straight. They're 3-3-1. Chase Edmonds has emerged as a really nice running back behind David Johnson, who has been in and out of the lineup injured for the Cardinals uh, Teddy Bridgewater undefeated 5-0 and in Drew Brees' absence. We saw a really nice game from Latavius Murray with Kamara out this past week. So, no, I, I think the Saints team is definitely one of the top few in the NFC, maybe the top two or three teams at this point right now, you could argue. And they get a healthy Drew Brees back. That's going to go a long way for this football team. Teddy Bridgewater has stepped in admirably. This run has earned him a lot of money on uh, the next contract that he signs, and the Saints are playing really well. The Saints need to lock Bridgewater up, like, tomorrow. I mean, we're just like, oh, no, 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 this guy's not going anywhere. You're staying here in New Orleans. Like, because Drew Brees is 40 years old. There is a possibility that this is going to be his last season. And New Orleans is going to spend forever kicking themselves if they decide that we're going to let Bridgewater go and we're going to ride out with a 41-year-old Breeze and then he retires in 2020 and you're starting from scratch in 2021. Keep Teddy in New Orleans, please. That's what's best for the league. That's what's best for Teddy. And I, you can't help but root for this guy. I mean, this that leg injury... It almost didn't end his football career. He almost lost his leg. That's how bad that injury was. And here he is a couple of years later, back to where he's been, back to where he is in Minnesota in 2015 before he got injured, where he took that team to the playoffs and they would have beat Seattle if Blair Walsh made that field goal. And they they have to think that, yeah, Bridgewater's not going anywhere. We're keeping him right here in New Orleans unrestricted free agent after this season, 28 years old, has made quite a bit of money here in this recent run. And as you pointed out, you know, this is a guy who's come in and we were not, yeah, you mentioned it, not only concerned about his NFL career, but concerned about his quality of life going forward because of the severity of that leg injury. This is a guy who turned down 
money to go be the starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, I think he made the right decision staying in New Orleans because he has earned himself fame in New Orleans as a guy who coming in and undefeated in the absence of Drew Brees, tiding things over until the starter comes back. And not to mention, he's able to show himself and perform in a way with weapons around him that's probably going to allow the Saints to say, hey, we're going to keep this guy right here. And so he could become the starting quarterback of the New Orleans Saints versus having been the starting quarterback against the Miami Dolphins, or or excuse me, versus the Miami Dolphins. And if he'd have gone to be the starter in Miami, who knows what would happen right now? He'd be in the Josh Rosen role. That's That's what would be happening to him. He'd be stuck on a team going nowhere. That's what would happen to him. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna share some blind stats with you, Cody, because sometimes we just have perceptions with certain players, and we're just gonna take the emotion out of it. And I'm just gonna read you stats from player A to player B. So all right, blind, blind, blind stats here. Our last segment this week on the From the Booth podcast. Blind stats from Evan Eichen. Here we go. We'll see if I can not fail this. All right. So player A is completing 61.8% of his passes. He averages seven yards attempt. He has he averages seven yards per attempt and has seven interceptions. Player B is completing 62% is completing 62.4% of his passes, also seven interceptions and also seven yards per attempt. Player A is Jared Goff, Cody. Can you guess who player B is? Oh man. Player B. Player A is Jared Goff. Let me say player B is Philip Rivers. Josh Allen. Yep. Josh Allen is ha- having a much improved second season after working with whatever he had last year. And <laughs> This is a season where Josh Allen has improving, but I think it kind of shows just from a sheer numbers perspective that trading Jared Goff for Josh Allen, not actually trading, but in terms of having one over the other, isn't making that much of a difference right now. Yeah, Josh Allen's played well for this Buffalo team. The The thing with him continues to be turnovers, uh, not turning the ball over because the defense that you have is so prolific. But yeah, you you look at when you just compare those two stats right there, uh, those two stat lines, Josh Allen has not been far off what Jared Goff has has done, and Josh Allen offensively working with much less on the offensive side of the ball than Jared Goff. So that's an interesting one. So here's a defensive one. Team A, this is a defensive stat. Team A, 66 possessions, 0.86 points per drive, 18.2% of drives ending in turnovers with a 50% three and out rate. Team B, 63 possessions, 0.83 points per drive, 20.6% of drives ending in turnovers with a 49.2% three and out rate. Team A is the season to date output right now of the San Francisco 49ers. Who's Team B? Uh, hit me with the B stat line one more time. 63 possessions, 0.83 points per drive, 20.6% of drives ending in turnovers, and a 49% three and out rate. Oh, man. Uh, let me say the Green Bay Packers. No, that was the 2013 Legion of Boom Seattle Seahawks. Wow. They compare like that so right they now? Are, they are on par with where they were 
over the last five weeks of the 2013 regular season of the Legion of Boom Seahawks that beat Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl. Richard Sherman, the common link between both teams. Interesting. Wow, that's a that's a really good number. This Look, this San Francisco 49ers defense has really been carrying this team. Jimmy Garoppolo just has to do enough. You know, hey, put 17 points, 20 points on the board and we're going to be uh we're going to be okay. So uh that one's that one is uh that one is surprising for sure. So, here is the final one and it concerns an offense. Team A is averaging Team A averaged 36.4 points per game. Team B averaged 37.1. Team B is this year's 2019 New England Patriots. Who's Team A? How many was Team A averaging? 36.4. Is this a current team or somebody from the past? Previous team. Give me the greatest show on turf. Nope, the 2007 New England Patriots over their first seven games. So this version of the New England Patriots right now is outscoring that 16 and 0 2017. Very interesting. Haven't really played a ton of formidable teams this year, but again, you just have to go out there and play who's on your schedule, so you can't really blame them for that. Uh did not realize they compared that closely to their output from uh from that undefeated team. And that's why I I really love looking at the player A, player B blind stats cuz it just kind of takes the emotion out of it. Like if I showed you the stats between mm, Josh Rosen and uh, pick another quarterback. Like if I showed you the stats between Josh Rosen and Drew Brees, well, of course Drew Brees is better than Josh Rosen. But if we just look at the raw numbers, it's like, oh, okay, these guys are a lot closer than than we thought they were. Also, Josh Rosen has had a almost 10% drop rate on only 100 passes this season. He has a 9.5% wide receiver drop rate, the highest in the league, and he's thrown only over a hundred passes. It's it's been a rough sledding in in Miami for him. Very rough sledding in Miami. They are on pace to be the worst team in the NFL. A lot of teams fighting for that crown, though. You've got Washington in the mix, although Washington beat Miami head to head. You've got the Cincinnati Bengals as well. The race for the number one pick is on, and uh, that one's gonna be a a, a slugfest, Evan, to see <laughs> who's gonna pick number one overall in the presumably what has been the tank for Tua draft but we we might be we might be turning around here in a few weeks and it's the uh it's the tank for Joe Burrow so we'll see uh we'll see what happens there but thank you for those stats Evan that's good stuff I, I like I, I do like seeing that stuff because you're right it does kind of take you know of course Drew Brees is a better quarterback but maybe we look at him and and the numbers on somebody else and you're just able to look at those so that was uh that was a lot of fun thanks for providing that That's going to do it for us here on this episode of the From the Booth podcast, our second one of the week here on Thursday, our NBA season preview we had yesterday, which was was a lot of fun. Evan has the Philadelphia 76ers as the number one team in the East, as do I, and uh, I have the Nuggets, he has the Clippers, so... Uh, make sure you go to at from the booth pod on Twitter and you can check out our predictions. You can also listen to the episode, get our predictions for the NBA season and how those awards shake out. Don't forget to find us on Apple podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio. Make sure to dial us up, find the podcast, the from the booth podcast. Make sure you subscribe to it, download, uh, rate, 
the podcast as well on Apple iTunes. Give us a uh, Apple Podcast. Give us a five star rating. That definitely helps us out. Drop us a comment about how you enjoy the show. Thank you so much to the people that have done that so far. We've got a a, a, a couple of a, a handful of ratings on there and a couple of comments. So we really appreciate you doing that. That really helps us out on Apple Podcasts. Also, the 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 Evan Eichen show. Uh, normally every other Thursday. There will be an interview coming. It's going to be tomorrow night instead of tonight. I've got a uh, former Waldorf uh, football player, Derek Wilcutt, who is now a uh, gaming streamer. So we're going to talk to him. So I've got an interview lined up with him. So if you remember Derek Wilcutt, it's going to be an interesting uh, interview for that one. So uh, subscribe over there as well. My guy, the Evan Eichen show. Uh, he'll have Derek Wilcutt. You heard that. So make sure to dial up the Evan Eichen show. Check him out as well. That's going to do it for us for this week on the From the Booth podcast. Special thanks to my co-host, Evan Eichen, as always. Thanks to Tony Huynh for the podcast artwork. We continue to shout him out for the logo, helping us get started there. And as always, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Getting great feedback on the podcast that we're doing right now, uh, Evan and I. So we really appreciate that. We hope you'll tune back in, and we're right back here next week on the From the Booth podcast.